This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is Sunday. What month is it? September. Sunday, September the 3rd, 2023. Today is the 5th installment in part two of our journey through the book of Proverbs. Now, the second part of Proverbs we're calling the Way of Wisdom. This is the fifth message, and it's entitled Proverbs' Great Commandment. Once again, thank you so much for joining with us. You know, there's a story I've told before about when my son Caleb was young, just a, a little bitty guy. And it's the first time when we went to the Avon Rec Center. Some of you who, some of you who live here in the Valley are familiar with that. When he was tall enough to go down the water slide, all right? It's really not that big, but if you're a little kid, it was huge. And Caleb was not having it. And I'm trying to convince him, Caleb, you're big enough now. This is going to be fun. You're going to love it. But he, he was highly skeptical. And so the morning that we went, he and I stopped at uh, McDonald's in Vail. And we're there and we're having our Egg McMuffin sitting across from each other. And I'm working on him, telling him that it's safe, that it's fun, all of these amazing, great things, that he's having a good time. But he just really looks suspicious. And so finally, I said, Caleb, give me your hands. And he reaches his little arms across the table and takes my hands. And I look him in the eye and I said, Caleb, do you trust me? And with those eyes of innocence, he looks at me and he says, Dad, no, I don't. <laughs> Friends, we are continuing in our journey into Proverbs, as I just said, and today crossing into chapter three, where we will find what may be the single most famous two verses in the entire book of Proverbs. And at the heart of this scripture is the concept of trust. So I want you to keep in your mind as we go through this, what does it mean to trust? And if we do trust, then who or what is it that we are trusting? So let's jump in as we begin chapter three with what we've seen so far in our journey, one of Proverbs' great recurring themes. In fact, two big of the recurring themes that we see throughout all of Proverbs right here in the first two verses. And once again, we have the, the construct and the literary construct of the parent, the father speaking to his son, to zoom that out a little bit, the parent speaking to their child. And the parent says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. I seek wisdom. That's the big idea. Live in wisdom. The first one of the biggest themes of all of Proverbs, if not the biggest theme in all of Proverbs. The, the parent says to the child, don't forget my teaching. Keep my, my commands, not just in your mind and awareness, but in your heart. Right? This implies a desire to apply these things and how we actually live. The parent is saying to the child, be wise. And then what they say next is the second huge theme that we see in Proverbs. They say, and if you do this, life will go well for you. Now, we see this described in many different ways throughout the Proverbs. And here, the result of wisdom is promised to be long life, peace, and prosperity. And that is a powerful promise. But friends, what have we learned about this? If you've tracked with us, 
What we've learned is this really isn't a promise of an outcome to us. Rather, it is a principle of truth. You know, all things being equal, living in wisdom, right, sincerely and consistently living according to the wisdom, the character, and the, and the nature of God, this will make life better. We will be healthier. And yet, life happens. In our opening few messages, we explored how why the Proverbs are true, they are not the ultimate truth, the complete truth about the topic at hand. The scripture has far more to say about the nature of life than what we see here in this opening passage to chapter 3. On this thought, consider this perspective. You know, purely on their own, living according to the teachings and commands of God will indeed, that we see here throughout the Proverbs, will indeed yield greater health, peace, and prosperity. This is true, but it's not the total truth because there's also the truth that we live in a fallen world. There is disease, injustice, natural calamities, right? We could go on. These and many other realities also affect and impact our lives in profound ways. Now, these realities do not negate the beneficial power of God's wisdom, but they definitely impact the results and nature of our circumstances. Now, that's a big topic if you really explore the Proverbs. We've talked a lot about this already, so I'm just going to leave it there for now. But if, if this is maybe your first message and you're like, whoa, 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 Ethan, what did you just say? I really encourage you to go back and listen to the opening few messages, um, the part one of this series, because we talked about this more in depth there. But moving on, the parent now expands their encouragement from just teaching and commands to the deeper values of love and faithfulness. Verses three and four. Let love and faithfulness, faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. My friends, that is powerful. And this is a reminder that God's call into his teaching and commands is never just about cold obedience. It is about a life transformed and motivated by love and an abiding faith in God and the resulting love of and faithfulness to other people. The image of binding these around our neck was a common right, and powerful image in the time that this was written. Right? Wearing something around your neck signified identity. Right? Let love and faithfulness be seen as who you are, as something always true of you. Right? This is what the parent is saying to their child. You know, the second line there, write on the tablet of your heart, write love and faithfulness on the tablet of your heart, interestingly, is not actually found in the oldest manuscripts, but it is included in most translations as it amplifies the same concept. Now, you see, Paul essentially is saying to us, Paul, good grief, the parent is essentially saying to us, no matter what you do or where you go, how you relate to people, who you align yourselves with in all your choices, let love and faithfulness never leave you. And the result here is significant. We are told your love and faithfulness will bring you favor, genuine esteem in the eyes and the consideration of other people and of God. Now, friends, here's an important thought on this. 
you know, there's an idea in Christian culture. It's been there a long time. It's kind of this, kind of a persecution complex. You know, the idea, in fact, I had somebody say, say this to me just the other day, that things are going really good. He said, but I'm afraid that because things are really good, that means I'm not really living the way I should as a Christian because if the enemy isn't attacking me, it means I'm not a threat. It's this idea that if we are truly living as Christians, that people will be against us. And at times, this is true. In fact, both Jesus and Paul spoke to that. But my friends, at the same time, the love and faithfulness of God, the grace, the goodness, the character and the nature of God, when this is how we live and relate to the people in the community and the world around us, this is winsome. It is appealing. It's, it's beautiful. But, you know, if people are always against you, just, just here's something to think about. If you find that people are always against you and you're thinking, well, this is because I'm, I'm just clearly living my faith in Christ and so everybody's against me, you know, at times it might not be because you're a Christian. It might be because how you engage with people might actually lack the love and the kindness and the character of Christ. You know, there's a very famous pastor out there, I'll, I'll leave him nameless, but I really agree with his thought. He said, there are some things about Christian culture that many, many people resist, and that as followers of Christ, actually, we should resist, because Christ himself would also have resisted them. Now, of course, there's a lot we could talk about there, but friends, the point is that true favor can never be coerced. The transformation of people's hearts will never happen under the threat of law. But when love and favor never leave us, we will win genuine favor in the sight of God and man. Now, I'll, I'll just parenthetically say there, details matter, life is nuanced, situations are different, discussions are necessary. But the principle that I'm hoping that we can see here, when we, again, when we are expressing the love and the goodness, the faithfulness of God, that will draw people to the Lord, and it will lead for people to see our lives in a favorable light. Now, with that, we now arrive at Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, which is a logical extension of what the parent has just said. You know, in the New Testament, we have what we call the Great Commandment. And in a prophetic sense, we could call this passage here in Proverbs Proverbs' great commandment. I mean, you remember Jesus' great commandment, right? It's what we call, you know, what we call the great commission was at Jesus' ascension when he said, go into all the world, you know, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the great commission. The great commandment is what we see in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. And this is where Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. The Pharisees then got together and we're told that one of them, an expert of the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, you know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. For this is the greatest, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and prophets 
hang on these two commandments. And my friends, when we read that, we need to remember that all means all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, for everything else flows from this. A thousand years or so earlier, led by the Spirit, Solomon wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, my friends, this is so important, such a powerful statement of Scripture. And so what we're going to do is walk through it one thought at a time. Now, this was written for us nearly 3,000 years ago. But the question is, today, how is the Spirit using this to speak to us? Okay, so friends, I'm about to bring some big thoughts to us. So I just invite you, I respectfully and humbly ask you to track with me. So the first idea here, trust in the Lord. Friends, this is a huge topic. You know, in common use, we think of trust as something that is built through evidence. Right, looking at that water slide, my son's fear of that big, giant, curvy thing full of swirling water overrode his trust in my judgment. You know, we also think of trust in a transactional sense. So often, right, we have something important that we need done and we trust someone to do it for us. Again, we do this all the time. It's the primary way we think of the concept of trust as we just go throughout life. And I'll give you an example. Back in my days of landscape architecture, I would sometimes travel to all of our company's offices to train the staff in computer-aided design, a program called AutoCAD. It happened to be my specialty. And to do this, I carried with me, again, this was a good while ago, a very large, very heavy computer projector. I mean, today they've got these things you can slip in your briefcase, but not then. Right? It traveled in this large industrial strength suitcase. It was incredibly expensive. And on one trip, I had to fly with it. And since it was way too big for a carry-on, I had to check it, right? I went to the gate, checked my bags, described what it was. We had this big sticker on it that said fragile. And basically, I'm saying to the clerk there, listen, I am paying you guys. I'm trusting you to deliver this safely. Well, I get off the flight in Reno, Nevada. I'm at baggage claim, and out it comes with red tape wrapped all around it, this massive dent in, a side, in the side of it. I pick it up and all I hear is the sound of broken glass. What was my response? I was, I was furious, I was angry, I was frustrated. You know, I, I turned, if, if there would have been somebody from the airlines there would have probably grabbed him and said, I trusted you guys. And look what happened. My friends, Consider the formula here, all right? We have our needs, my needs, my terms. I've got something in my control, and I'm releasing that control to you, but it's still on my terms. It's my defined expectations. Often there's some payment involved. And if you deliver on that trust, things will be good, and I'll trust you again. But if you fail, I'll be angry and I may never trust you again. In fact, I might seek damages against you. And in the business of day-to-day -day life, right, there is a logic to that. But my friends, is that how we think about our trust of God? Right? 
track with me here, think with me. God, here is my need. I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to control this, but I can't. So God, I'm releasing this control. I'm releasing this need to you. God, I trust you. But God, remember, here are my terms. Here's my expectations. And I'm trusting you with this, God. And friends, depending on our religious background, we actually also may be thinking, you know, God, I have faithfully tithed. I faithfully come to church and served for all these years. God, I've done my part. And now it's time for you to do your part. And if God delivers, if our expectations are met, we thank God. We say God is good. We send out emails about how God is good and how our prayers were answered. But if God doesn't come through, if our expectations aren't met, things don't go the way we had prayed, when we were trusting, then we may find ourselves confused, maybe angry, disillusioned, right, with giant existential theological questions. Lord, I trusted you. We may question God's goodness. Or, again, depending on how we're raised, on the flip side, we may question our own deservedness. Right? If we were doing enough on our side of the ledger for God to act on his, it's very possible we may turn away and just say in our heart, God, I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm going to look elsewhere. And my friends, this is heartbreaking, but I want to tell you, if you don't know it, it happens all the time. But is this what it means to trust God? What if trusting God rather means a deep, step-by-step, -step anticipatory yieldedness to the loving goodness of God, His nature and character, and the primary expression of God's loving goodness in the midst of whatever our situation may be, is how we express God's love and goodness to those around us. And we trust God to provide for us the grace to do so. Let's take that a step further. What if trusting God isn't us fixing our eyes on the outcome and then trusting God to accomplish things on our terms, but rather we fix our eyes upon God, upon seeking and, 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 seeking and listening to wisdom, Right? humbly making the best decisions as we are able, seeking to have godly influence, but letting go of our need for control and trusting God with the outcome, whatever the outcome may be. Right? Trusting that God is present, sustaining, comforting, imparting to us his continuous grace, leading us into his nature, into his goodness, no matter what the outcome may be. And so the parent says to their child, trust, my child, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, in the great commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In the sense of both Jesus' words and the words of our parent here in Proverbs, right? this is a qualitative idea, not quantitative necessarily. 
right? Trust in the Lord wholeheartedly, not tentatively. And that is a trust that flows from love, from a deep conviction in the goodness of God, a trust expressing the desire of our heart, not just the compliance of our mind. You know, there's a chorus that we sometimes sing called Joy of My Desire. And it's just beautiful. I think it just fits perfectly here. And it says, Joy of my desire, all-consuming fire, Lord of glory, Rose of Sharon, rare and sweet. For you are now my peace, my comforter and friend. Wonderful, so beautiful, you are to me. Lord, I trust in you with all of my heart. Lord, you are my first place passion, my greatest love. In you I place my trust. And friends, because we trust in the Lord with all our heart, we are taught and we are able to lean not on our own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Ah, oh, my friends, I'm probably going to try, I'm going to try, but maybe fail to be succinct here. You know, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says this, the way of fools seem right to them. Right, the idea of the way of a fool, it seems right in his own mind. The idea being, trust not in your own wisdom, in your own understanding, but always be yielded to the understanding that is from God, the wisdom that is from God. Now, I had this discussion with a group of friends recently, and one of them said, you know, there's lots of ways people want to think, the way that we want things to be, but we must stay true to God's truth. We must stay true to the truth of God's word. To which we say, amen. But my friends, here's the thing. When we say we must stay true to God's truth, to the truth of God's word, if we're honest, what are we really saying? What we are saying is we will stay true to our understanding of God's truth, right? to my understanding of God's word. In our understanding of what God's truth is, of what God's word says, it's influenced by many things. Maybe by our favorite teachers, authors, by our parents, the church we grew up in, the tradition and doctrinal teaching of our upbringing, our life experiences, perhaps our own study. What about the Holy Spirit? Now, friends, with this, we must also always realize and come to terms with the reality that there are other believers who deeply love the Lord, who have a high view of Scripture, who may hold a different understanding than you do, than I do, about what God's truth is, about what God's Word says, on many key and essential doctrines. You know, an example, there's the nature of salvation itself, the concepts of sovereign grace, election, and free will. You know, if you see this through the lens of what today is often referred to as Reformed theology, you understand the work of the cross, the nature of how and why a person enters into salvation in a way that may be very different from a person who is not from a Reformed perspective. Right? This means by which the this is this is rather this is the means by which a person enters into God's forgiveness. Right, that's another example. 
the purpose and meaning of baptism, communion, the doctrine of eschatology, good grief. I mean, I've heard some people say, if you don't hold to a dispensational premillennial view of the end times, then you don't believe what the Bible clearly says. <laughs> really? Friends, this is my point. In many cases, we need to hold our biblical convictions with humility, with humility. And when we engage with another sincere believer who holds a different understanding of Scripture, rather than our first instinct being to demonstrate how they are wrong, maybe even deceived, perhaps we choose to be curious instead of judgmental and listen to their perspective and seek to understand their understanding. And with a humble heart, seek first the Lord and the leadership of the Spirit. Because you see, my friends, this isn't just about you know, abstract theological and doctrinal positions, but it will, in, it will filter down right, and impact and have profound influence um, on how we think about and engage with people, right, with our faith in everyday life. You know, you, friends, some of you have heard me say this. I would say I have been blessed over the years to have changed in my understanding of some key areas of what it means to have faith in Christ, to, to be in Christ, to be a follower of Christ. And it just might could be that at times that our own understanding on which we lean, rather than leaning upon the wisdom, the presence, and the Spirit of God, is our own understanding of Scripture itself. Now, right, track with me here. Friends, may we be believers with the absolute centrality of Christ, with a high view of Scripture, and yet at the same time, may we hold our understandings with humility, grace, and a heart that is open to the leadership and growth of the Holy Spirit, a heart that always looks to God's Word and is willing to wrestle with it rather than just being dogmatic with it and that always looks in these matters to express the love and the character and the nature of God in Christ. Lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways submit to him. In all your ways acknowledge him. All right, Yahweh, the Lord. You know, the phrase here, all of our ways, is about far, far more than how we submit to and acknowledge God just within the church. Right, the idea here of in all of our ways speaks to the breadth, the details of life, all the different ways we think, feel, act, communicate, and make choices. Right, just think with me on a few. And how I do business. Am I submitting to and acknowledging the Lord? And how I engage with my family, right? Am I following the Spirit's lead to submit to and acknowledge God? How about in how I relate to people with whom I disagree, right? In those conversations, in those dynamics, is my heart first submitting to the Lord in my social life, in how I communicate, how I express myself politically, right? And how I am self-aware of the impact of my actions upon others, right? And how I live in all my ways, 
submitting to God, acknowledging, expressing the presence and the nature of God. Boy, lots more we can say there, but going on and in all these things, when this one step at a time is how we are increasingly living, yielding, looking to God, trusting in Him in all things, the last line of this amazing um, statement is that He will make our paths straight always, in all our ways, continuously, one step of trust at a time, through his word and by his spirit, God will lead us into his wisdom. God will lead us into the straight paths of his character, his nature, his peace, his hope, his kindness, his love, wherever those paths may lead. So friends, if you have it in your mind, in your heart, say this proverb with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. My friends, when Solomon wrote this, his audience was living under the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law. And for them, Submitting to God, acknowledging God, was submission to the law, the prophets, and in our case, the wisdom of the Proverbs. For the children of Israel, this was the presence of God, and it was a powerful source of hope. And yet, we now know that a greater hope was coming, and that this greater hope is now here. And friends, this brings us to the lens of Jesus. Whereas in the old covenant, humanity did their best to live up to the law, as they lived under the law, right? As they submitted to it and acknowledged and leaned not on their own understanding. In Christ, the New Testament proclaims, we have now died to the law. And our motivation, our hearts, our understanding is led by the Spirit. Romans 7, two of my favorite passages from the New Testament here. Romans 7, verses 4 through 6. The Apostle Paul says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work within us, so that we bore fruit for death. In verse 6, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve, we trust, we understand, and we submit in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And this leads to Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, Because I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I do not set aside the grace of God. I never set aside the love and the faithfulness of God. For if my righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Friends, if you would pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, By your spirit, Lord, we pray that you would draw us to yourself so that truly we do trust in you 
with all of who we are, with all our hearts, so that we look to you, lean upon you, and not upon our own desires, our own perspectives, and our own understandings, whatever those may be. And Jesus, in all the details and circumstances of life, may we be submitted to you, acknowledging you, making you known. And Lord, we thank you that in all of our ways, you will lead us into the paths of your heart, your grace, your love, your nature, because of your presence within us. So Jesus, we thank you for the power and the truth of this amazing scripture from some 3,000 years ago. Lord, we thank you that we are able to see it and understand it through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. And Lord, we pray that it would bear fruit in our lives. To your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for tracking with me today. Next Sunday, I will not be here. I'm not going to have a message posted online. Um, I am participating in a special event in our community. And my good friend, Matt Wyatt, is going to be preaching at our service in Beaver Creek. So I will see you back here online in two weeks as we continue in Proverbs chapter 3. God bless you. Thank you.